We come to our second week in our series on the 21 letters of the New Testament. The big picture theme for this section is that God calls his people into community called the church. Today we'll be reading Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The Apostle Paul also wrote last week's letter to the Romans. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, I found myself standing in Trader Joe's with a shopping list of items that have become Trader Joe's essentials for our house. You know, those vegetable burritos in the frozen aisle, those mango slices in the dehydrated fruit section, those Thai dumplings that we seem to buy by the dozens for our boys. I was ready and willing to put all those in the cart. But as I kept shopping, I came to the list where there were two words that made me shudder a little bit on the inside. They read ranch dressing. Now, being a father of three boys that can be a little picky about what they eat, I knew that Trader Joe's does not sell Hidden Valley Ranch Dressing. I don't even know what brand they do sell. I just know it's not Hidden Valley Ranch. And so as I stood there in the aisle holding this non-Hidden Valley Ranch Ranch Dressing at Trader Joe's, I had a decision to make. Would I put it in my cart and try to pull one over on my boys? Or would I have to drive to a second store that day and shop again? I decided to put the non-Hidden Valley Ranch in my cart. I checked out, loaded the car, and drove home. 
And that night, as we prepared dinner together in the kitchen, I sliced the carrots and the broccoli and the cucumber and the celery, and I I created the vegetable platter that's always at the center of our dining room table. And in the middle of it, I I snuck out the Trader Joe's non-Hidden Valley Ranch dressing, and I loaded some ranch dressing into the center of the tray, and then put the ranch dressing in the fridge in the very back, behind the ketchup, behind the mustard, where the boys wouldn't know what brand it was. We called the boys for dinner. And as we were all sitting down, Wyatt, my 11-year-old, grabbed a carrot stick, dipped it in the ranch dressing, popped it in his mouth, and then he looked at me. He looked at me with a look like I had just ruined his life. He looked at me with a look of dismay like, Dad, what is going on? And he opened his mouth, still filled with partially chewed ketchup and fake ranch dressing, and he said, what is this? I looked at him and I said, it's ranch dressing. He quickly got up, went to the fridge. I heard him going through all the bottles. He came back with the Trader Joe's non-Hidden Valley Ranch dressing and said, Dad, we only eat Hidden Valley Ranch. You see, Wyatt doesn't like things that are different. Wyatt is uncomfortable with things that are different. And in that moment, as a dad, I started to think through all the things I could say, all the dadisms that would come out of my mouth in this wonderful, teachable moment. But as I looked at Wyatt holding the non-Hidden Valley Ranch, I couldn't help but think, I don't really like things that are different either. In fact, I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we may be able to admit that we don't like different things either. That we can be uncomfortable with things or ideas or even people that are different than us. That different things are difficult for us. As we read here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is telling us about two very different people. He's talking about the tension that is there between the Jews and the Gentiles. He's talking about the hostility and the hatred and the tension that has grown through the years between these two groups. And as the church is formed and as Jews convert to Christianity and as Gentiles become Christians. There's tension between them even in the early church because we don't like things that are different. It started because the Jewish people were given the book of the law. The Jewish people were chosen by God to be his people. And even as we've studied through the Bible, we remember the Torah. We remember the book of the law that was given to the Jewish people. God gave them the book. God gave them his promises. God gave them his presence. And he said in the book of the law, he said, I want your community to be a light to the Gentiles. I want your your community to be a place of such great peace, such great wholeness, such great justice and mercy and compassion that the world looks at you and says, I want what you have. But instead of becoming that for the world, there began to grow tension between Jews and non-Jews, between Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews looked at the Gentiles as unclean for what they ate and what they wore and what they said. 
The Gentiles grew wary with the Jews looking down on them. They didn't like them for their pride and their pompous nature. And there was tension between them. And a dividing wall of hostility grew. We see this literally in the temple. We see this in the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. That in these different areas in the temple, there was a wall between where the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were allowed to be and where the Jews were allowed to be. And this wall separated the two. It was a dividing wall between them. In fact, archaeologists have found the stones that were set in this wall. Stones that were inscribed with a saying. The saying said this. No Gentile may enter the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Yes, there was a dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. And it wasn't just this physical wall in the temple. It was a wall that extended out through society. They didn't eat together. They didn't shop together. They didn't do business together. They didn't marry each other. There was a wall of division between them. It's why when we read in the Gospels, Jesus is eating with Gentiles and non-Jews. The Pharisees look at him and say, how dare you eat with them? It's why in the book of Acts, as Peter presents the gospel to Gentiles, the early church leaders are arguing over whether or not that should be. Do the Gentiles deserve the gospel? There is a dividing wall of hostility growing and existent between the Jews and the Gentiles. And I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we can agree that we build dividing walls of hostility in our life. We build dividing walls of hostility between people that are different than us. Psychology tells us that we we don't like what is different because it challenges our self-identity. It it challenges our self-worth. So whatever it is about us that we get our self-worth and our self-identity from, whatever things that we, we like so much about ourselves, we challenge whatever is different. We don't just challenge it, we place a moral value on it. We consider it less or worse or not as good. I mean, let's take, for example, let's say you get your self-worth or your self-value or your identity from your appearance or your physical fitness. Maybe you'll come across somebody that's not put together as well as you or not as in shape as you, and you may start thinking in your head, they're lazy. They must lack some sort of self-control. We start placing value judgments on them because they're different than us. Or maybe we get our self-value, our worth, and our identity from our finances, from our wealth. And we interact with people that aren't as successful of us, that may not have as much money as us. And we may start thinking, man, they're lazy. Or man, they're not very well equipped Or, man, they they must not have really tried very hard. 
We don't even know them, but we begin to assign value to them. In fact, we devalue them. Or maybe, maybe we get our our identity and our worth from the diplomas that hang on our walls, from the schooling that we've had, and we interact with people that haven't had that. We think, oh, they're not as smart as me. They're not as capable as me. Yet we don't even know them or know their story. Yes, I think as humans, it's our nature to moralize our differences, to devalue what is different. We identify with who we are and what we value. We call it good and right. And when things are different, we call it bad and evil and wrong and less. I mean, we do this in silly ways. I've watched old men argue over whether you should drive a Ford or a Chevy. I mean, really, these guys have gone after it. They have been so hating each other because one drives a Ford and one drives a Chevy. And when I told them I drove a Toyota, they really hated me. I see it on Sunday mornings in the fall season when Oklahoma fans are mad at Clemson fans who don't like Ohio State fans and Alabama fans. And and it's ridiculous that we let college football build dividing walls of hostility between us. But those are just silly ways that we do it. No, the, the serious things we do is we interact with people from other cultures or races or ethnicities. They eat different foods. They wear different clothes. They listen to different music. They worship Jesus Christ differently in their churches. And we devalue it because it's different than ours. We look down on it because it's different. This can really actually creep into our lives in ways that we may not be aware of. I had to discover this in my own life. Many of you know that after getting married to Susie, we spent our first two years of our married life in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. We were teachers. And I remember when we first got to Honduras, we were there only a few weeks when one of the Honduran teachers in our school Miss Vargas, she invited us to her wedding. It would be our first Honduran wedding. I remember navigating the bus system to get into downtown Tegucigalpa. I remember feeling like I was going to be late. I remember panicking because I was so sure that we were cutting it so close that we were going to be those guests that get into the foyer of the church just as the bride starts walking down the aisle. No one wants to be those guests at a wedding. And so we sprinted through the streets of Tegucigalpa and we got to the church huffing and puffing and we walked quietly into the church. But the church itself was very quiet. In fact, as we entered the sanctuary just one minute before two o'clock, the start of the wedding, there was just one older Honduran woman decorating the front of the church. Susie and I looked at ourselves. We, We approached this woman and in our poor Spanish at the time, we said, is there a wedding here today? She said, yes. We said, is it Miss Vargas's wedding? She said, oh, yes. And I said, is it at two o'clock? She said, yes. And I said, isn't it two o'clock right now? And she said, yes. And for the next three hours, Susie and I helped this woman decorate the church. 
When finally at five o'clock, the bride walked down the aisle. And I remember specifically sitting in that church, not just thinking, wow, this is different, but thinking, man, how inconsiderate of them telling me it's two, but it doesn't start till five. How ridiculous of this culture that they don't start on time. I remember all these values, statements, and judgments flowing through my brain as I sat in that church. And I remember Jesus tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you've got a lot to learn. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we can admit that we build a lot of dividing walls of hostility in our life because we don't like what is different. It happens in the political sphere right here among us. Liberals and conservatives not just discussing an issue but berating each other. We, we discover it as we think through how to respond to the coronavirus pandemic and people lash out at each other. There's a great verse that Paul will write in just chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Paul writes this. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Does that describe your conversations? Does that describe your Facebook and Instagram posts? Does that describe how you interact with the world that is different or thinks different or looks different than you? The good news is there's a solution. The good news is these dividing walls of hostility and hatred don't have to stand anymore. Paul tells us there's a solution Paul writes in the verses, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. On the cross, Jesus dismantles the dividing walls of hostility. On the cross, Jesus destroys hate and he does it in two ways. He does it first by reconciling us to God. Paul tells us, he says, don't you remember you were hopeless? Don't you remember you were without God? In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, don't you remember you were dead in your sin? You were dead in your trespasses. And there in verses 13 and following, he says, and Jesus died on the cross for both of you, for Jew and Gentile, because both of you needed saving. There's a reality of the gospel that we have to confront, and that is that we need Jesus to save us, not just the people that are different. We need Jesus to save 
us. And when we embrace that truth, when we acknowledge that and surrender to Jesus Christ, he does something else on the cross. He doesn't just reconcile us to God. He doesn't just bring us near to God, but he reconciles us to one another. He says in verses 18 and following, he says, you are now a nation, citizens together. He says, no, no, that's not close enough. You're of the same household. You're brothers and sisters in Christ with God as your father. He says, no, no, that's not close enough. He says, you are stones cemented together, holding each other up, entirely dependent on one another to create a beautiful building in which God himself dwells and reveals his glory to the world through the unity expressed in the church. On the cross, Jesus dismantles the dividing walls of hostility. He blows them up by reconciling us to God and reconciling us to each other. And so I just leave with one question this morning. Are you building walls or are you being built together with bonds of peace? Are you building walls of division and hostility in your life between you and people who are different? Or are you allowing God to build you together, to bond you together with people who are deeply different than you for his sake and his glory? Are you building walls or are you being built together with bonds of peace? Let us consider this as Tommy and Christine continue to lead us 